Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along to the programme, John Paul taking your calls at 0818 103 103. Texts and WhatsApps to 0862 103 103. And I'm interested in people's thoughts on an issue that's making some of the papers today. And it's one of those issues I have a feeling is going to divide some of our listeners. Some people are going to be hell bent on saying, yes, that is the right thing to do. And you'll have others saying, whoa, 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 hang on a tick. And it is to do with the lots of kite flying going on around the budget, lots of talk going on around the budget and lots of speculation as to what's going to be increased, what's not going to be uh, increased. And the one thing we know is social welfare and people who live on social welfare, be they old age pensioners, somebody on widow's pension, people on a blind pension, disability pension and people who are unemployed on job seekers allowance. Everyone is expecting some kind of an increase. It's just to how much that increase is going to be. But it looks like, according to the front page of the Irish Independent today, that the coalition is certainly going to be on a little bit of a collision course over whether or not there should be an increase in the job seekers allowance, the payment that's made to people that are unemployed. Currently, I think it's over the age of 23. If you're unemployed on job seekers allowance, the payment is 208 euro a week. But it seems that the Fine Gael party does not believe that the unemployment benefit should be increased in next month's budget. Now, it seems Fianna Fáil and the Greens are in favour of increases across all of the welfare payments. Senior Fine Gael officials do not think the payment should be increased and the reason they're citing is the high demand for workers across several sectors in this country. There is, there is a belief in the party that if you increase job seekers allowance, all you are doing is disincentivising unemployed people to actually go out and look for a job in the labour market. A Fine Gael cabinet minister said it would not make sense to increase job seekers payment, particularly at a time when employers are crying out for staff. A third senior party source said no decision has been taken on increasing the unemployment benefit, but obviously indicating that they are certainly in favour of saying increase some social welfare payments, but do not give anything extra to somebody on a job seekers allowance. Now, according to The Independent this morning, a senior Fianna Falls source said the budget will see the weekly payment increase in line with the state pension 
uh, hike and that all of the if they decide that it's certainly going to be more than the five or a week but if it's an extra 10 or a week or an extra 15 euro a week it'll be across the board to all social welfare payments and that's a, uh, that's the source within Fianna Fáil. The Minister of State Pippa Hackett and she's with the Green Party she said that the Green Party they also favour across the board increases to welfare payments so it does look like Fina Gale will be fighting this one on their own. Pippa Hackett said it's no secret that we are supportive of targeted measures in the budget, whether that's social welfare supports, qualified child allowance, working family payment, things like the living alone allowance. And she said, I think across the board, we like to see some uh, some supports. And meanwhile, there was a submission to the Commission on Taxation and Welfare that was made by Sinn Féin. And Sinn Féin at the time, they had suggested that the unemployment benefit should increase by almost €50 a week. Now, they've since rolled back on that and and said that they're they're not saying that the €50 should be done in the fourth. They're sort of saying over time that the unemployment benefit if Sinn Féin had their way, they would be increasing it by €50 a week. Now, the Department of the Department of Finances, their tax strategy group, they are the group that we've spoken about before in the programme because they've had, they have to sit down and examine the costs and the impacts of any kind of increases to social welfare. And they were the group that came out and said a social welfare increase of 15 euro. And they were saying how much that would cost the government. And they were almost saying that that's what that that's what should be uh, suggested. So when when the Department of Finance's tax strategy group, when they mentioned the 15 uh, euro, that then sparked the speculation that the government were going to announce that on budget day, that all of the social welfare recipients were going to get uh, 15 euro extra a week. Now, Leo Varadkar, though, did insist that the government hasn't promised anything ahead of September the 27th. That's the date of the budget and that everyone just has to wait until then. And I saw, was it uh, the Minister for Social Protection, Heather Humphreys, she was being quizzed yesterday about, you know, you know, are people on social welfare going to get an extra 15 euro? Are you going to increase the this talks that the living alone allowance is going up, the fuel allowance is going to go up. And she, she said yesterday, it made me smile when she said it. She said, I'd need to be an octopus to hold down all the kites that are being flown, flown at the moment in terms of the department and in terms of the budget. But listen, uh, Regina, that is what, or Heather, should I say, that is what happens and has been happening in recent years coming up to the budget. By the time we get to hear the budget, there's very little that we didn't know. Maybe we'll be proven wrong and maybe it'll be all different this year. But certainly that figure of €15 a week is being bandied about. But now it is looking like Fianna Gael are going to throw a little bit of a spanner in the works if they go in and say, OK, we'll we'll give increases. We'll give increases to the old age pensioners. We'll give increases right across the board on social welfare, except to people who are unemployed. And in fairness, I can... kind of see where Fina Gale are coming from on this one. I mean, if you walk through, I imagine every single town and village and city, anywhere where there are any kind of businesses, there's signs in almost every window with a sign up saying staff wanted. Now it can be your local restaurant, it can be your local bar, supermarkets, any kind of shops, hardware stores, employers are crying out for more staff at the moment. And I know research that was only published yesterday revealed that 30% of businesses in this country named staff shortages 
as their main concern for the forthcoming year. So there are jobs there. And then when you look to the Central Statistics Office, they show that unemployment stands at just 4.2%. Now, in numbers, that is 119,000 people are unemployed at the moment. Now, that is one of the lowest rates of unemployment that this country has uh, ever seen. So I suppose what Fine Gael are saying, if you increase and give more money to the job seekers allowance in the budget, are you incentivising people to stay at home and not go out and get a job? Now, there'll always be people who genuinely, for whatever reason, can't get work. But there's always the theory that there are people out there who simply just don't want to work and want to remain living on social welfare. So I suppose it's those people that Fine Gael are kind of saying, look, there's businesses screaming out for workers, go out and find a job. But the other argument then will be put forward, I suppose, by the unemployed uh, people. Would a significant increase in the minimum wage or a move closer to a living wage, would that actually help to encourage more people to enter the workforce? At the moment, the minimum wage is €10.50 per hour. And perhaps some people feel that that's just not worth getting out of bed and going to work for. So rather than sort of almost and I use this in inverted commas, picking on the people that are unemployed by saying, well, we're not going to give you anything extra in your job seekers allowance to to encourage you to go out to work. Should the government instead be saying, OK, let's make it worth somebody's while, worth their while to go out and work? Anyway, there's a big it's a big decision now, certainly when the coalition parties uh, sit down, uh, because we know social welfare is going to be uh, in- increased should it increase across the board and should it also include the people who are on the dole people who are on job seekers benefit or allowance your thoughts welcomed on that 0818103103 where on the fence are you sitting on this one people who are unemployed living on 280 euros a week it isn't a huge sum of uh, money they're finding it as hard to manage as anybody else is because when they go into the supermarket with their €208 a week, they have to pay the very same prices as as anybody else who's working or or other people on social welfare like an old age uh, pensioner. So is the fairest thing, give everybody the increase. Are, Are Fine Gael right that by giving extra money to people who are unemployed it'll just incentivise some people to remain at home. Your thoughts welcomed phone lines by the way been particularly busy this morning so please uh, do bear with us because uh, John Paul is trying to answer those on his own so if you can't get through of course you can always text or WhatsApp to 0862103103 on social welfare increases and what the Irish Independent are speculating is the coalition on a collision course over whether job seekers allowance should get an increase or not in the next budget Fine Gael. Um, the theory is that Fine Gael think that they shouldn't. That's only d- uh, disincentivising people uh, to go out and get a job. Somebody says, Patricia, why should all social welfare get pay increases in the forthcoming budget? People on social welfare complain that they are struggling. Yes, you're supposed to be struggling on social welfare. It's only th- it's only there to help you get by in between jobs. So go get a job, says this uh, texter. So do I take it from that that you are not in favour when the budget gets announced of somebody on job secrets allowance getting an increase. Patricia, there will be the 
that will be the case. Increase social welfare so people can stay at home. What about looking after people that actually do a day's work? My husband works full time and I have to work for a minimum wage just simply to cover our bills as I wouldn't be entitled to anything by staying at home. Maybe look after the older people who've worked all of their lives. Let the people who are fit to work get off the couch and actually do something about it. 0818 103 103 also on on WhatsApp budget 2023 carers deserve to get the same rate as the initial Covid payment of 350 uh, euro pre-Covid and more and more so during Covid they carried a huge burden financially with zero supports and at the end of the day full-time carers in the home saved the state millions can I change that they saved the state billions and they deserve to be recognised for the hard lonely work that they do so that's somebody flying the flag on behalf of carers thank you for your text and John says Patricia the UK now have inflation running at 10% and they are now officially in recession and will be in recession for the rest of this year and it's expected for all of next year the old saying when the UK gets a cold we here in Ireland get a flu it now looks like a recession is coming our way as if things are not bad enough. And that's uh, WhatsApp from John to 086 to 103 103. A reminder that all this week on Cork Today, we're giving you the chance to win with Specsavers Hearing. They're celebrating Ireland's reopening with tickets to great events and great experiences. Uh, You can win your way today to see Tommy Tiernan live at the Cork Opera House in October for you and a friend, plus a €100 Green's Restaurant Voucher. I'll play an audio clip as I've been doing all week from Tommy Tiernan with a word missing. You have to guess what the missing word is. Specsavers Audiology, bringing back the sounds you missed the most. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Promoter, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. The number of dentists treating patients with medical cards continues to fall. The Irish Dental Association is once again calling on the government to reform the scheme and in a pre-budget submission they're also looking for changes in the dental tax relief scheme for working people. Joining me from the Irish Dental Association is Dr Caroline Robbins who is their president. Good morning to you Caroline. Good morning to you and thanks you, for having me. Well you're, you're very welcome. Is it fair to say that the dental medical card scheme needs a complete overhaul? I mean the current scheme simply is not working. The current working working scheme is certainly not working at all. I mean, it was devised in 1994. Here we are in 2022 with no changes. I mean, I could spend an hour talking about it, but basically it fails the patient. It promotes extraction of teeth, over preservation of teeth. There's no referral pathways. I can't send my patients on who have higher need issues because there simply is nowhere to send them. And it's not looking after the patient. In, you know, in 2020-22, with modern dentistry, it is a, a shame, I'm going to say a crime, that I can't have them in my chair and be able to offer them what they may need rather than what a scheme dictates tells me what I can do for them. Yes, yeah, so, so it's actually understandable I think a lot of it down to absolute frustration why so many dentists are leaving the scheme and therefore then leaving patients in some parts of the country with access to no dentist under the general medical card scheme. 
Yes, I mean, across the country, we're seeing more and more dentists have, are leaving in, in droves. And as you say, it is pure frustration. You know, at the end of the day, I want to look after my patients. But if I can't, there is a point, I suppose, in any relationship that you just can't take it anymore. And in a roundabout way, if we don't walk away, if we don't insist that this is not working for the patient and continue on with the scheme, the HSC, the Department of Health, will continue to think there's nothing wrong with the scheme and there will be never in any change for the patient. And at the end of the day, it is them who are going to lose because we can't get the scheme changed for them. Now, your association has put forward proposals and recommendations for an entirely new scheme to the uh, Minister for Health. Has the department reacted to your proposals? Uh, not really, uh, which is not surprising. And when we devised an idea, which is around a voucher, voucher fee, where a patient would be allocated a, an amount of money per, per year, and it would allow you to do the treatment that that patient needed. As it stands, I can do a checkup, I can do two fillings per year, and I can take as many teeth out as, as I want in the very basic terms. But the patient who needs just gum treatment, and that's what he needs, two fillings do nothing for them. So wouldn't it be nice that we could sit the patient and do what they need. And then that will improve their oral health and give them a healthier outlook. Look. Yeah, it's just, you know, I've, I've read the proposal and the recommendations. It just seems like such a simple answer. It, it, this doesn't have to be as complicated. And, you know, you're not reinventing the wheel, no. but you're letting the dentist decide what needs to be done for the patient. Because I'm thinking of somebody going into a dentist who's had their two fillings and suddenly a third tooth might just need a filling. And sorry, and, and the, the patient obviously is in pain. So, so an extraction has to happen on what could have just been a simple filling. Again, absolutely. I mean, it, it does. It breaks my heart when I have to sit and tell a patient, I'm very, very sorry, but the scheme does not allow me to offer you other than anything other than extraction. Crazy, crazy. You also, in your pre-budget submission, you're, you'd like to see changes to the dental tax relief scheme. Talk to me about that and, and what changes that you would like to see the government consider for Budget 2023. Well, obviously, we're very conscious that across society, you know, the cost of living is increasing at an exponential rate. The current Med2 scheme allows refunds tax back on more complex drinks, so in a, at a crown or a root canal. We would like like to see more routine treatments, you know, your cleaning, your fillings, dentures, things that people get on the much more day-to-day base and get be able to claim back some money on those procedures. 
because I'm, I'm assuming with people struggling with the cost of living pressures, you must be worried that people's oral health will, will suffer because, you know, for somebody and a family and struggling to pay all the bills and meet all the requirements coming in, they might skip going to the dentist. And I'm, yes, I'm very aware of that. Um, my first cousin was my dentist when I was a, a child and when I was trained. And he always said that, exactly that, when times are good, oral health will be looked after. When times are tight, you will find is one of the first things that may go off. So absolutely. And oral health, you know, it's attached to the body. That's overall health. So, so vital and vitally important that it is looked after mm. and maintained. And we would love, if we could, something simple, being able for a patient playing back for the more day-to-day routine things, then all the better. Uh, and by the way, Caroline, how big a problem is uh, recruitment and retention of dentists? Oh, good Lord, I could be here all day. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's dire. Is it? It, it? And I hate using the word perfect storm because there's nothing perfect about this. What is going on now is we're finding recruitment issues. And it used to be a rural issue. We used to struggle to find, to encourage or attract dentists away from the bright lights. You know, Dublin, Galway, Cork. They they wanted the bigger cities. Now it's everywhere. Dentists, hygienists, dental nurse, everybody's crying out. Since COVID, I think with the people working from home, how the, the, the working day has changed, people are actually more available to come in for their appointments, whether it be dental, doctor, whatever they need. So we have seen an increase of patients coming in. So across the board, we are busier. We need an extra pair of hands but there are no extra hands to get. And, you know, when you look, for example, in Cork, I think the graduating class of 2022, 52 graduated, 19 are Irish students. The rest are primarily Canadian and from from Malaysia. And unfortunately, their visa system doesn't allow them to stay, so they have to go home. They come here to train to be dentists, yep. uh, which is which you know speaks highly of how good our mm-hmm. dental hospitals are. And you're saying as soon as they're qualified, the visas don't allow them to work here. Absolutely, nope. So, I mean, can you? I mean, when I say it out loud, and you can hear it, the the ludicrousy of it, it makes no sense. Well, particularly when we're <laughs> screaming out for dentists, I'd yes. say something if it was a profession that we had a lot of Irish people already trained and we needed to find work for them. But that's it's not making any sense. And even allowing for that, are we training enough future dentists? I don't think so. I think we do need to look at the numbers that we are putting, putting through. I mean, our population has increased and dental awareness has increased. So... Absolutely. I do think there needs to be a root and branch look at the number of students, um, dentists, hygienists being trained every year because there is a definite need for, for more dentists and hygienists and dental nurses out there. 
Yeah, and and dentists are, uh, by the very nature, you're going to have a proportion of dentists every year coming up to retirement age. Yeah, I mean, in, in any industry, it's a you know, it's a continuous sort of cycle, isn't it? So those that leave need to be replaced. Um, at the moment, dentistry is such a you know, it's a it's such a physical hands-on job. Ninety-five percent of my day, what I call live dentistry, like I'm doing procedures. So I can only do so much as a person. So you need that extra. And it's getting that extra pair of hands that is an improving and impossible task. Okay, well uh, well done on putting your submission into the government. Let's hope that they'll read it and that they will listen to you, Caroline. And listen, thank you for taking time out to talk to us this morning. We well, really no problem, appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me. Good morning it. to you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That bye-bye. is Dr. Bye-bye. Caroline Robbins, who is president of the Irish Dental Association and certainly not painting a great picture on the future of our oral health if things don't change in this country. And, and you know, I think, remember only a few weeks ago, we were talking about that elderly man earlier on in the summer, wasn't it? Was he County Wexford, was that um, gentleman who couldn't, an elderly man on a medical card, couldn't get a local dentist and he was just literally, the man was going off his head with the pain. So he took out a pliers and he he pulled out four of his own teeth at home. I mean, it was just shocking. And I remember it was a story that so many people were upset about. And that was purely down to not being able to access a dentist uh, in his area. 0818 103 103. John Paul's taking your calls. You can text, you can WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk they walk the walk cmig.ie keep your calls and texts coming I can see a lot of uh, texts and calls coming in particularly on that issue that uh, the Fine Gael uh, party uh, are, the suggestion is that they don't believe unemployment benefits should be increased in next month's budget they see it as disincentivising people to go out and find work uh, I'm not ignoring your comments I will get to them but I want to move to a different issue because 15 athletes will represent Ireland in the European Transplant and Dialysis Games they're due to be held next week in Oxford among one of the three Cork athletes who will be taking part uh, is our own Ross Garbury regional reporter, Mike Kyoham. And uh, we couldn't at the moment pass without bringing Mike on to wish him well. And he joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Mike. Good morning, Patricia. Now, now are you all packed and ready to go? When, when are you heading off? Well, we're heading off on Sunday morning, Patricia. We're flying out from, from Cork Airport and we're heading to uh, London, to Oxford. So okay. looking forward to that. But um I have to tell you, I've no packing done yet. Patricia. Have you? No. <laughs> That'll happen the next day or two. No doubt your lovely wife, Dee, will look after all of that. She will. Sure. I must say, Patricia, she's the organiser in all this. <laughs> I literally just turn up, do a bit of training and turn up in the day. So she's brilliant like that, Patricia. OK, talk to me about the Games. How many countries take part in the European Games? Well, and this coming European Championships, Patricia, there'll be just under a thousand athletes taking part from 25 different countries from all over Europe, and you'll have people with kidney transplants, liver transplants, lung transplants, people with bone marrow transplants, and see me, it's the European Transplant and Dialysis Championships, Patricia, you will have people also competing who are on dialysis and who are waiting for a kidney transplant. Uh, And that's important as well, that they get um, recognised. And you've travelled to so many of these games in the past. I, I imagine you end up making lifelong friends, do you? Oh, you do, Patricia. I mean, the friendships that are made over the years, are, you know, we're really a 
big massive family and not just amongst the Irish team but be- between all the countries and all the athletes especially when you're doing the same sports like Patricia I do race walking shot put discus for example in the athletics you're coming across the same kind of people a lot of the time and there's new people coming on every year so the friendships build up and I mean everyone has a very unique story you know, with regards to people who've had transplants, as I say, there are dialysis people there as well. So they're not on the same side as us at the moment, but we're giving them hope. So, yeah, we're very supportive of each other, Patricia. And, you know, we do get great fringe friendship over the years. And it's, it's a fantastic, they're fantastic championships to have. And we're very proud to be part of it and very proud to be able to promote organ donation and transplantation, which is the key to all this. And do you share stories with each other? Is is that a kind of a, does that happen a lot? Oh, gosh, it does, Patricia, because, you know, one thing we have in common is having a transplant. Yeah. But everybody's story is different. How they ended up having a transplant in the first case, you know. And everyone's story is unique to them and it has been a challenging time. So you do, you do exchange stories and how you got there and the recovery. And, you know, you're there also, Patricia, to give hope to people who are waiting for a transplant and let them know that, you know, the other side is very, very good and hang in there and you will get there. And that's that can be probably the most difficult part when you're on that uh, transplant list. So so talk to me about yourself health wise, uh, Mike, how are you doing? Oh, Patricia, I'm absolutely fantastic. Um, since I had my transplant now, which will be 15 years this coming Christmas Day, So, I mean, 15 years transplanted is a fantastic achievement. When you consider that on Thursday, uh, December the 13th, 2007, my doctor, John Hagerty, came in to me and he told me, Michael, you're going on the transplant list now. You're going to go top of the transplant list because without a liver transplant, you have about eight weeks to live. My God. So that was a bit of a shock. And uh, I knew I was very unwell, Patricia, and I knew I needed a transplant, but... I didn't realise I was going to go straight into the top of the list and to realise that I had about two months to live without a a liver transplant. So that's the big thing here about organ donation, Patricia. I could have, you know, been long gone forgotten about by now, but here I am ready to look forward to a championships next week and hopefully in December celebrate 15 years of transplant and 15 extra years in my life that I've, I've really enjoyed been a fantastic um, journey. After the transplant, Patricia, our life took on a different path altogether with being part of the Irish transplant team. And as you say, the friendships we've made, we certainly wouldn't have happened without the organ donors and the transplant. So it's a fantastic thing. It's a wonderful thing, Patricia. Organ donation works. That's the key thing here today. And our simple message to everyone is to please to consider carrying an organ donor card. And our message this year, Patricia, is have the conversation, say yes to organ donation. Because your donor, Mike, and your donor's families, are they very much part of the story of the transplant games in that they're always remembered? Oh, Patricia, we never forget our, our donors. Absolutely not. Every morning that I wake up, the first thing I realise is that I'm alive today because of an organ donor and the person who gave me, who I received the liver for, and the loss that they must have felt at that time in Christmas, Patricia, as you know, is a very significant family time anyway. And for them to go through that, so it's, they're very much in our thoughts all the time, Patricia. And especially when you get onto the starting line, like when I line up for the 5K race walk in the final next weekend, 
the last thing I'll say before I start is thanks to my donor, you know, giving mm. me this opportunity to be able to go out and race walk for five kilometres. Patricia, I couldn't walk up and down the stairs before my transplant. Now I'm race walking five kilometres in less than 30 it's minutes. Brilliant. It's brilliant. So. And, you were, and you were always sporty. I mean, you were... A life, you've been a lifelong sports enthusiast. Oh, sure, I have. You know, I, I grew up here in Ross Carberry playing football, playing soccer, playing basketball here in Mount St. Michael. I've been coaching the football teams and the basketball teams here in the school for over 28 years, Patricia. So, sport is a very important part of my life. And for me to be able to continue, like I'm in my 40s now, Patricia, and for me to be able to continue to compete, you know, doing shot put, doing discus, doing javelin. These were all sports that I never did as a young fella because mm. they weren't just there for us. So to be able to do that now um, is, is just a wonderful thing. And, and I'm learning every day about about these. And I've been very lucky over the years, Patricia, with race walking, for example. I've been coached by Rob Heffernan, so I don't think you can get better than that. Absolutely not. So Absolutely I've made not. great contacts and great friends, Patricia. And uh, it's it's just been a fantastic story. And we so look forward to these championships because we haven't had them since 2019 because of covid Luckily, three weeks ago, I was part of the British Championships and uh, came home with a couple of medals. Yeah, which, we know, mentioned you. We, we, we right, gave you a did. shout out. You're, you're, all, you're always doing so well. And, and I'm assuming by, you know, getting involved in things like the, the transplant games, I mean, it obviously keeps you very healthy, but keeps you very motivated as well. Oh, without a doubt, Patricia, because, you know, during COVID, definitely, you know, the motivation went because I, I didn't have a focus for the championships. They were cancelled in 2020. They were cancelled in 2021. We were meant to host them in Dublin in 2020. We were meant to go to Houston in America in 2021. So the motivation to get out and train every day is there because you have something to focus for. But when that was gone, Patricia, training became difficult. And especially for people like myself who were immunocompromised, we had to be very careful, Patricia. So we couldn't go back out and join clubs and things like that. So most of all my training is literally on my own, mm. you know, so that, you know. That's, you that, to, that's tough. That, can that, be, that, that is, that, that is, is really tough, tough. Patricia, but I must say Dee is fantastic. She comes out with me and she runs alongside me and things like that. So there's a bit of company there as Good. well. So Good. she's great. But yeah, I kind of kept myself to myself. I didn't go back to the athletics club so much training because I just wanted to be careful, Patricia. Um, uh, yeah, and that's what we were always saying to people when yeah. when it came to COVID, you know, immune compromised people. I mean, somebody walking down the street looking at Mike your hand today yeah. sees nothing but a health and a fifty exactly. a health and a, a healthy fit man yeah. in his forties. You never know, you know, walk in my shoes, you never know what's going on in somebody else's life. Absolutely not, Patricia. And like, you know, even Saturday night we we were at Westlife, you know, and All right. Dee and myself were the only two wearing masks inside I know, there. And, I you know, know, you're kind of conscious of people look at you, but people don't know what's going on in another person's life. So I still want to be careful, Patricia. I've been careful since the beginning, so I, I just want to continue to be careful. But at the same time, we're getting on it with our lives and we're going to these championships, so looking forward to it. Spreading the word of organ donation works. Yeah. The one thing about organ donation, Patricia, without organ donors is... Without the organ donor, there is no story. We wouldn't be chatting today. There's no hope and there's no transplant. But when there is an organ donor, life springs from death, sorrow turns to hope, and a terrible loss, Patricia, becomes a fantastic gift of life for someone. And in time, you know, there is certainly a lot to be gained from people who do give 
you know, organ donors, organs to people, they do get a bit of comfort later on when they see how well we are doing and how well we are getting on with life and that we are enjoying it again. And they're the reason why we're here today. Have you been able to make contact with your donor's family? Or? You know, Patricia, I did write to them, but you write through the transplant coordinator yeah. and they pass it on. You don't kind of tend to find out. Okay. Too much. I never received anything back, but that's not unusual, Patricia. But yeah, I, I did hear the circumstances, and it was quite tragic, to be yes. honest with you. And, and it often is. It, it, is. It, it, it so often is. It is. Well, and that's why families are just, are just so brave. And uh, a listener by text says, uh, "Well done uh, to Mike. The best of luck uh, to him in the transplant games. My daughter is currently on a wait list for a transplant. Oh well, we wish well, your daughter I, well." Patricia, we wish her the very best to look and tell her to hang in there. It's, it's, life is brilliant on the other side. Life is fantastic. You will get through it. You just have to be patient. The call will come. And on the other side, where we are now, Patricia, it is a fantastic life. And, you know, maybe in time she might be on the transplant team with us. Who and knows? Enjoying and Who knows? Around the world. Who knows? By the way, how many, have, I, I don't know if you, if you know the number off the top of your head. How many medals have you won to date? Oh, Patricia, um, <laughs> without sounding both. And the medals aren't overly important to me. But go on, go on, go on, go on, both. Uh, sure, I'm, I'm probably over 40, I'd Patricia. I'm probably, incredible. Yeah. It's incredible. So, it's I mean, incredible. In, in Leeds, Patricia. And now, you know, the thing about these championships, they are very competitive, Patricia. Yeah, we oh, were, yeah. We were in Leeds, as I three weeks ago. I, I, I was lucky to win three medals. Um, with the 100 metres, and, you know, we're watching the Europeans in Munich at the moment, and we were very... Delighted for Israel the other night. He had that a national young record. Dublin lad, wasn't ah, he? Dundalk lad, yeah, fantastic. But Patricia, in the 20 category, they go by age groups in this competition. Yeah. And 20 to 29, the 100 metres in Leeds was won at a time of 10.29 seconds. Now, that's as quick as any of the other athletes that are running in Munich at the moment. And this young man from Wales has had a transplant. That's fantastic. That so, is, I mean, they're, they're very they're, competitive. They are competitive. And you need to work hard, but enjoy them. Patricia, we have a great, um, you know, if you want to visit our uh, transplantsportireland.ie and, and from there you can get on to Facebook, Instagram and, and Twitter. And follow what everyone is doing and everyone's getting on. We'll keep yeah. a close eye on it next week. And, of course, uh, the organ donor card so important. You can free text DONOR to 500-500. That's free text the word DONOR to 500 Always a pleasure to talk to you, Mike. Thank uh, you, Patricia. Best wishes to your lovely wife, and best of luck next week. Thanks, Patricia. Thanks for joining us. Please do. Please do. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. As I expected when I started the programme by mentioning what looks like uh, the Coalition on a Collision course over whether increases should be given to job seekers allowance in the budget next year. According to today's Irish Independent, Fianna Gael does not believe that the unemployment benefit should be increased, but Fianna Fáil and the Greens are very much in favour of increases in the social welfare payment right across the board and they don't want to differentiate between what social welfare payment you are on. Fianna Gael's belief is that by increasing job seekers allowance, all you're doing is disincentivising some unemployed people to take up jobs in the labour market at a time when there are so many different sectors crying out for workers. Some of your thoughts. Miriam says, my problem with the unemployed is I feel they should not get the increase and if they do get the increase, they should be made to work 
for it. I was speaking, I've been speaking with employers who cannot find staff. My daughter and son-in-law pay €1,500 a month for their mortgage. They're now going to be facing college fees shortly, but yet the debate seems to be all around increasing social welfare. In fairness, the Minister for Higher Education, Simon Harris, is talking exactly about families like your daughter and son-in-law and talks of reducing some of the costs of going to college. I don't know by how much. There's a lot of speculation around that, but they are very conscious that families like that really are struggling. Thank you for your call, uh, Miriam. Tommy in Mallow. There are restaurants and bars with signs up almost begging for staff, yet people do not want to work. And yet these are the same people who are looking for an increase in their social welfare payments. Too many people are looking for handouts today, says Tommy in Mallow. Brendan is in Bandon. He says that I get up uh, every morning early and go to work. My wife is the same. We struggle with childcare. Yet I know of at least one other person who does not work and is claiming social welfare. That same person is able to go out on a Sunday for what he calls a few sociable drinks. We envy this. We have to worry about the rat race of Monday morning and why workers remain on the same pay level. Some of us have remained on the same pay level for years. Those on social welfare are the ones who are going to get an increase. It all sounds so wrong to Brendan in Bandon. Thomas is in Goline. He picked up the phone and called us to say, how come we have so many people living on social welfare payments for years? I've often said to myself, I'd be better off living on the social. But if I went on social welfare, I guarantee you I'd be hounded to do courses, etc. And I know what I'm talking about. It happened to me back in 2020 after I lost my job. I was made to do all kinds of different uh, courses. Others seem to be on the social for life uh, and they're the ones who are going to get an increase. I'm working now, I thank God, but I do feel that the system is all so unfair. Marion Kanturk says too many people sitting on the sofa and looking for easy money. They should be out working. Liam Inbroth feels there is too much on the side of employers. Employers can decide who who or who does not get a job. All of the job offers also, or many of the job offers, are not paying enough. Um, they're not paying a living wage, rather they're only paying a minimum wage. Liam feeds, feels everyone needs a start and needs to gain experience at some point, but many employers are not willing to give people a chance, which means then that some people will end up on social welfare long term, and that is not fair. Michael in Castletown Bear says, Patricia, this upcoming budget is on a lot of very shaky grounds. It may not even get through the doll for a number of reasons, not just this job seekers allowance issue. It could actually spark an early general election. Is that what we need? Michael says plenty of work advertised, but at halfpenny wages, they, the employers, just will not pay a decent wage because their profits will drop. Michael feels some of these employers, it's just down to pure greed. Morning, Patricia, says Tim in Mallow with regards to social welfare increases. I can see Fine Gael's argument in all of this. However, I would very much differentiate between job seekers benefit and job seekers allowance. Giving any increase to the job seekers benefit, give any increase to the job seekers benefit scheme, but don't give it to the job seekers allowance. After all, a person on job seekers benefit has lost their job. And what they're claiming back is through their PRSI uh, contributions. Uh, you're right. And in fairness, when I was reading what Fina Gale 
their thought pattern on this. It was job seekers allowance. It wasn't job seekers benefit. Job seekers benefit is what you go on when you initially lose your job. And I don't know how long you can actually claim that for. Uh, and then when your stamps, the old, what we used to call the old fashioned stamps run out, then you go on to job seekers allowance, which is the group of people who are deemed long term unemployed. And that's very much, I think, what Fina Gale are talking about as well. So they're on the very same hymn sheet as you, uh, Tim. Thank you for your WhatsApp. Alan says, morning, Patricia. Recently, we had to go back to Cork for a doctor's appointment for my wife. As I was sitting in the car, it was 20 past 10 in the morning, I noticed the doors of a nearby pub opening up. The first five customers through the door by 10.30 were five single men. I know all of them. They live locally. All these guys live in council houses. Each of them has a three-bedroomed house. Now, why would any one of these guys go out to work? They have all that they need, says um, Alan. Oh eight. 1-8-103-103 and somebody texting us from the UK says you need to point out that the job seekers allowance in the UK is £77 a week uh, which is what about €100 Euro, is it I'm, I don't know what the, the pound sterling is to you at the moment but say about €100 Euro. in Ireland the equivalent is €208 Euro per week it's no wonder people in Ireland want to stay on benefits as an unskilled worker would probably earn not much more by going out to work. And that goes back to what, you know, a number of people are saying, is is that what the problem is? Do we need to up the minimum wage and do we need to at least have a living wage? Someone else by text, I think job seekers should go out and get a job. There's lots of work out there. Hi, says Mary. Hi, Patricia. Listening to your programme this morning about unemployed getting a, a, a raise in the budget. Well, I totally disagree with this. As you say, businesses are crying out for people to go go to work and they can't find the employees. Anyone who's in, unemployed now, I feel, are wasters. Social welfare is too attractive. So no, do not give them a rise. Tell them get out and earn money like we all are doing. Too many people in this country expect everything for nothing. And just a final one. Hi, Patricia. There are plenty of businesses at the moment who can't find employees. They should be able to call into their local social welfare office and say the type of people and the skill set that they're looking for. And these people then should be taken off job seekers allowance and given a piece of paper to say you need to turn up for work there next Monday. We all know people that are well able to work but are getting it too, getting too much too easily. Also people can get council houses, let the council give them employment. There are plenty of roads in need of repair right throughout County Cork. Work is good for everyone. So a lot of people judging by those texts and calls into the programme, a lot of people very much siding with this belief by Fina Gale that if you increase job seekers allowance, you disincentivize unemployment unemployed people to get up uh, and take up jobs within the labour market. And actually, John Paul tells me we're running an Insta poll on our C103 Insta stories and we're asking that question, should the job seekers allowance payment increase? Fifty. It's currently 53% of people are saying yes and 47% of people are saying no. So it's roughly split down the middle on the people who have checked out the C103 Insta stories if you want to vote in that particular poll. And thank you, John Paul, who tells me the exchange rate set the text that I had from England where somebody was saying that unemployment 
allowance in England is £77 a week. That works out at €91.35. I was being generous in saying €100. So if you're unemployed in the UK, that's what you'd be living on compared to the €208 that we have that we get in this country. 0818 103 103. John Paul taking your calls. Text WhatsApp 0862 103 103. C103 Jobs. A person is wanted for data entry and administration in Donnerill. Now, a background in farming would be an advantage. Also, a field agent uh, will be wanted in the very near future. For more information on either of those jobs, 022 34136. Weedles Beauty and Wellbeing Clinic in Mallow, they've got a vacancy for a full-time qualified beauty therapist with three to four years experience to lead a small team. You must have iTech CIB TAC qualifications. Also full and part-time beauty therapists newly qualified to work alongside an experienced beauty therapist. Contact Shirley at Weedles Beauty and Wellbeing Clinic in Mallow on 022-21343. John O'Driscoll Motor Factors, they're based in Skibbereen. They've got a vacancy for a parts slash sales advisor. Now, training will be provided for the successful applicant. Email CVs to johnjr.odriscoll at gmail.com. And a canteen assistant is wanted for the school term in the Douglas area. It's four days per week from 8 a.m. in the morning to 2.45 p.m. HACC PCERT is required. Email info at kcateringcork.com. Ie. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. cmig.ie. We are constantly hearing about vacant properties across the city and county. So I was surprised to hear that Cork County Council had only received 10 applications so far for grants under the Vacant Home Renovation Scheme. So to discuss what more could be done, I'm joined by Cork Anti-Dereliction Campaigner, and that is Frank O'Connor. Good morning to you, Frank. Morning, Patricia. Thanks for having me. On. Well, listen. Great to have you on the, on the program. Firstly, why do you believe so few have applied for these grants? They're worth thirty thousand euro and could actually be up to fifty thousand euro. Yeah, um, I suppose. I and mean, there's a couple of issues, really. Um, <clears throat> I suppose there isn't that many properties. Um, a lot of the derelict properties we've come across are not necessarily for sale, and maybe people are haven't any plans to do it to do anything with them at the moment. So maybe that you know there needs to be. Uh, some way of bringing the derelict properties back onto the market so this, this granting could potentially be more effective you know so basically maybe some type of approach like compulsory sales uh, at the moment uh, the local authorities have compulsory purchase where they can apply which usually takes a couple of years but if they're also given a measure like compulsory sales then that would allow derelict properties to come back on the market and obviously come back on the market there's challenges too because at the moment it's very difficult for someone to um, get a mortgage for a derelict property. I think a lot of the banks or financial services won't provide the mortgage. So there's kind of these background issues that need to be re- addressed. And also there is, a, I suppose, as well a bit of scepticism about the grant, you know, whether it would just mean that someone would actually 
add the price onto an existing property. So there are those mm. kind of backups. That's always the danger when there's a government grant introduced. People just think that the price of the property will just go up by the 30000 instead. I'm, I'm interested when you say it's hard for somebody to, to get a mortgage. I mean, if that's the case, does the government need to try and step in or do, do we need someone else well, to, to look at giving money for people to do up derelict well, properties? Definitely, definitely. Look, as you know yourself, we're in the middle of a crazy housing crisis and it's affecting everyone now. I mean, not just a small percent of the population, it's affecting so many different demographics. So what we've experienced ourselves, um, a partner, Jude and I, in terms of us trying to buy a home, uh, originally we moved back to Cork four years ago, and what we've learned since during the campaign has been very much that a lot of people, unless they're cash buyers, they can't get buy a, a derelict home. Now, a lot of the homes, unfortunately, aren't coming onto the market because people are sitting in them for whatever reason. I know there's lots of reasons behind that as well. But unless the properties come on the market and unless then, you know, a person can actually have cash to purchase it, then it's, it's difficult for that property to obviously get grants and to come back into use. And obviously, we're very lucky in Cork. We have some amazing properties and a lot of heritage that's been wasted. So what a difference it would make to Cork City and the county if we could bring these houses back into use, back into our towns and our city. It would be brilliant for the local economy, yeah. brilliant for all the businesses, brilliant for families in terms of reduced transport, you know, because obviously a lot of what we're finding with our work is that a lot of the properties are located in our town centres and our city centre. I mean, when we did the research in Cork over two years, we found 700 derelict properties within two kilometres of the city centre in Cork City. That's incredible. So imagine... If you imagine families living in all of those. And, and it's uh, so bad for the image of an area, isn't it? I mean, I was, I saw, it was in the, the town of Mallow last year. Or no, it wasn't. It was just actually before the pandemic. I saw uh, tourists were in the town and I saw them taking photographs of derelict buildings. And I just thought, oh my God, this is such a bad image uh, for, the, Mallow, for, the, for the town. And Mallow is such a beautiful town. And we've, we've been there a few times over the last few months taking pictures and walking around chatting to people. But it's been... I suppose Mallow's been described, would say, partly because the traffic goes right through it, as you know. Mm. So when you walk through Mallow, we went for a couple of months ago on a Saturday afternoon, and the place was so quiet. It was sad. But like all these wonderful properties, and Ireland, is, Cork has been, Ireland as well has got a lot of beautiful heritage buildings, you know, gone back a couple hundred years, and Mallow is no different. And it is sad to see a town like Mallow should be thriving. When I, when I was growing up, I grew up on the Cockery border. We used to go to Mallow shopping when we were young as a treat. And... Uh, I remember it being a thriving, it's back in the 70s and the 80s, being a thriving town, you know. And it is sad to see that, but it's not just Mallow, you've got McCroom, you've got so many towns like that band yeah, as well. Yeah, it's yeah, it's, it's, it's right, it's, it's, and it's not just across Cork City and County, it unfortunately is oh, nationwide. But nationwide. Frank, Frank, not all vacant properties are derelict, but it's the longer they're left, isn't it, that there's the danger of dereliction happening. That's it, that's it, and that's, see, vacancy is very much the gateway to dereliction, and you're right, not all uh, are, are derelict, but obviously we would be arguing as well for a vacancy tax, you know, so a vacancy tax. And I know it's been used at the moment and people are talking about it and their plans to put something in place, but a vacancy tax could be a way to bring it out. But, but like, there's compulsory sales and compulsory rentals. Now, these are measures that work very well in places like the Netherlands and stuff. So, for example, if it's a vacant home, we're not saying the person has to sell the home, but perhaps there should be some compulsory rental. You know, we're in a situation, it is a crisis, and, you know, whether it's for people living in Ireland or people coming in sadly at the moment with the war and stuff, there's a lot of people arriving. So we should look at a measure like compulsory rental to get those back into use. But the compulsory sales, we think for derelictions would be a great option because, you know, um, that would, again, be one wonderful way to bring back into use. But, yeah, it is, it is sad to see it. Like, we live up in Blackpool and close to Shandon and myself and Jude, and we see the 
the Cork City, uh, the bus, the tour bus going round up by the bus exchange and all these tourists coming out and taking pictures of the bus exchange and it's crumbling and it's, yeah, it makes us quite uncomfortable as well. But but also it's the fact that no one should be without a home. So, mm. I mean, we should, we live in a country, a wonderful country, where it should be in a position that everyone has a right to a home. And when we moved back originally to Cork City, we were shocked by the, the homeless crisis. And you, you, you if, if my memory serves me right, you, yourself and your partner, um, Jude, you moved back from Amsterdam that do, right, doesn't have a dereliction problem, but did back in the 70s. Absolutely, that's it. So um, back in the 70s, uh, there was a huge dereliction issue. People were moving out from the city centre back out into the suburbs. Huge issues, of course, that's associated and social issues as well. And what happened in the Netherlands, which is really interesting, is everyone went out on the streets. So families, adults, teenagers, everyone went out and they protested and they protested and they protested and they kept protesting till the change came about. And then over the next 10 or 15 years, those changes happened. So when you go to Amsterdam, no, you won't see any fair election. In fact, it's almost too successful because the opposite has happened where really it's very hard to get a property there now because everyone wants to live there. But you've got to remember Amsterdam as well is that over 50% social housing there. Mm. So it's still affordable for your person working in your, in your shops or your pubs or whatever to live close to the city. And in the middle of a climate crisis and a resource crisis where we are at the moment, the more we can move back to our urban centres, the less we need to drive. So we need to provide... I suppose for us, the big issue as well is not just homes, but it's places for kids to play and for places for adults to play too and be creative. Yeah. And for know? families so to live, to work and live. Exactly, exactly. So, I mean, Jude and I, obviously, we haven't got any kids, but we'd love for more families to come back and sit centre. There's a lot of dereliction where we live in Blackpool, there's a huge amount of dereliction. So, we'd love families there. It would be yeah. great for schools and the local economy. But we have to then provide safe paths for walking, for cycling, for people in uh, disability issues. Uh, we've got to uh, make it as inclusive as possible, but we've also got to provide as many playgrounds. When we lived in Amsterdam, we lived in an old social housing uh, flat, which was put into private back in the whatever day, back in the 80s, whatever. And that's where we were living. And uh, in every street corner, Patricia, there's a small little playground, you know. It's hard to walk around with your kids because they probably want to play everywhere. Yeah, but it's yeah. for families to live in. So the apartments there are family friendly because I suppose in Ireland that's another issue people maybe sometimes have perceptions about living in apartments or flats but obviously a lot of these countries they make them so livable they're open spaces they've got outdoor spaces and they've got everything nearby so there is a huge focus on what's how it's described as public luxury so making sure your public reign works for your people then obviously that has a huge impact on people's lives and well-being and mental health I mean for us, it's a win-win all round isn't it? 100% Patricia, like we came back and we found it quite difficult for the first year we were walking around and we were meet, meeting people without a home, we started chatting to people, we actually got really friendly with one guy um, and he was the same age as myself and fortunate circumstances, he ended up in the streets in Cork and uh, he was great because he gave us loads of insights to what it's like to be in that situation and it could happen to anyone, we could all end up in that situation or the like, you know, we, we, some of us are more lucky and more privileged and I think, you know, the homelessness issue and also the housing crisis like accepts all ages and all demographics now but also not in Cork City in particular we have some amazing heritage buildings and we come back and we go my god these are amazing you know and to see them crumbling and we'll lose um, them yeah we will lose them unless we do and, something about it and that and funding that I spoke about at the, at the start though those grants the first round of funding doesn't include vacant homes in the city would you like to see the city included in the future 
Yeah, definitely. I suppose what we've been arguing for really is a bit more of a systems approach. So look at the overall strategy behind it. So we presented the Oireachtas last December, Jude and I, and they have released a, a policy document since, which has like 39 recommendations, and they do plan to do certain things. Now, their only recommendations that they don't have to do them, but, but they are talking about certain things. But yes, I mean, obviously, we would say you need a toolbox of measures, and compulsory sales, compulsory rental, uh, vacancy tax, a custodian order is what we'd like as well for heritage. And uh, we need people, to, I mean, there's a lack of data in Ireland, again, trying to find out dates of buildings or what materials gone in. I mean, again, a lot of people in Cork probably don't realise we've got a sandstone or limestone. They're, they're unique to Cork. They're signifiers of the city. A lot of those buildings have been knocked, unfortunately. And if you, ha- you shouldn't be knocking buildings, and if you really have to knock them, you should make sure you can retain materials and again the sense and limestone the, the red and white really represent core mm. so yeah the, so it's a very much definitely a city needs it but it needs a bit more of a strategic approach you know and uh, see each measure is, is good but it's only when they work together you see because you need different measures like I said and the thing about say, trying to buy a home like if someone can't get a mortgage how is he what's the point what's the point yeah it's, it's complete joined up thinking is, is what is needed and as you mentioned when yourself and Jude moved back to Cork in, in 2018 that's when you started looking at the, at the, the dereliction yeah. of buildings is the situation getting worse or better well I mean I think the local authorities and stuff have definitely started to implement a lot more of, of, of their, their sort of measures. Because what we came back to, like, Patricia, was that there, there's a dereliction um, law regulations for 32 years, but it wasn't being enforced, you know. And I suppose we both have argued that, that if there's a law in place, it should be enforced because it sets a very bad precedent if it's not, you know. Because, in, in other words, if I'm without a home and I go into shop in Cork and I take a banana because I'm hungry, the law will come down on me heavily handily. But at the same time, if I've got a building in the city, I can let it crumble to the street. And as you know yourself, Patricia, there's been a lot of buildings crumbling in Cork for a number of years now. Accidents, streets blocked off, like North Main Street is a good mm. example. But, you know, so, but yeah, definitely the local authorities are taking a more proactive approach. But we really need to come to terms and say, Cork is an amazing city, right? <laughs> but it could be so much better if we tackled their election and the vacancy, like you said, is the gateway to their election. Yeah. Restore our heritage. I'm convinced we could get so many more people coming to see the city, you know. And the benefits that would have for tourism and stuff, obviously job creation, the local economy. But likewise, so many more families would come back from the uh, rural environments. I think they would come back into the city, definitely, given the cost of living crisis. You know, we know now it's hard expensive to fuel your car, energy and stuff. If you could come back in, we could do a lot more. I mean, for example, there's solutions, sorry to go on about something different, but there's solutions around district heating and stuff. So there's a lot of other things we could do once we bring the people back into these, these spaces. But they could, they'll only come back if the city looks well, it functions well, if it's livable, if it's beautiful, you know, all those things. And I think at the moment in Cork, it's kind of lost its way. And it's, as far as I'm concerned, it's become eroded in the city centre, kind of like a donut model, where the city centre is being eroded. And sprawling all around us and like it, I think you have to go away sometimes to be honest to appreciate what you have and as we came back and said oh my god this is such a wonderful place and the potential of Cork and the counties well the towns and stuff and like you said it's right across Ireland 
The yeah. potential is amazing. Yeah. But yeah. And, and with, the, with the current housing crisis, it just seems ludicrous that we can have any vacant properties. Listen, uh, Frank, it was a pleasure to speak with you. Uh, what yourself and, and Jude are doing is, is fantastic and, and keep up the great work that you're doing. I know we'll speak again, but in the meantime, thank you for that and thanks for joining thank us. Much. Thanks, thanks for joining us. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. That is uh, Frank O'Connor, uh, who is a well-known Cork anti-dereliction uh, campaigner. More needs to be done with vacant properties because the longer you leave them vacant, the more the chance you have of that then becoming a derelict site 0818 103 103 John Paul taking your calls you can text our WhatsApp to 0862 103 103 and I just want to give a mention we will be talking tomorrow on the programme about Bail and Blaw and obviously we're coming up to the 100th anniversary of the death of Michael Collins at Bail and Blaw and the big um, a commemoration ceremony will be happening in Bail Nablaw on Sunday so we'll have details about that and we'll talk more about Michael Collins on the programme uh, tomorrow but I want to mention um, him today because a commemorative stamp of Michael Collins has been issued this morning by on post ahead of the 100th anniversary of his uh, death and actually the, our own Taoiseach Micheál Martin welcomed the announcement and said it was fitting that an individual such as Michael Collins who played such a pivotal role in the foundation of our state should be commemorated in this way. The Thornestown Fine Gael leader Leo Varadkar and of course both Leo Varadkar and Micheál Martin will be addressing the commemoration uh, at Bail Law on Sunday. He said that Michael Collins was the first among equals of the founders of the Irish states and Michael Collins is one of the highest profile figures to be remembered of course during this ongoing uh, year of centenary commemorations. The stamp was designed by Ger Garland and it goes on general or is now on general is from this morning and it features photography by C and L Walsh of Michael Collins and it's Michael Collins it's kind of one of the typical photographs it's him in full military uniform obviously the, f- the photograph has been supplied by the National Library of uh, Ireland and it's sort of it's 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 a, it's a, f- a, f- a f- front-faced photograph with his head uh, tilted slightly uh, to the side it's like it's a really really gorgeous uh, stamp and I know for stamp collectors people will be rushing out uh, to buy it but that's on general sale uh, from today a commemorative stamp of Michael Collins 0818103103 John Paul's taking your calls you can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Cork today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Off to Bandit Garda Station for this week's uh, Garda Fire, where I'm joined by Garda James at Masters. Good morning to you, James. Good morning, Patricia. And How are you? I'm very well, thank you. <laughs> okay. A um, number of things to get through today. Firstly, uh, you want to talk about uh, parking at beaches. Now, I mentioned this because I was in West Cork last weekend and uh, it went down to Inchidani couldn't get parking anywhere so we left and went to because West Cork were blessed there's so many other beaches you could go to but you know I subsequently discovered after, afterwards the number of people who were just almost abandoning cars at the beaches that has to stop Yeah but, uh, but Trish I suppose again we referred to this a number of weeks ago uh, and maybe with the cooler weather now it, might, it mightn't be as much of an issue but a number of complaints in relation to um, you know parking at those busy uh, beaches. Um, I suppose we're just asking the public to, to when parking to have respect for the residents living in the vicinity of the beach and also um, you know don't cause any uh, obstruction. Um, you know you're right. A number of complaints about parking and double yellow lines really, Patricia, uh, make it extremely difficult for um, emergency vehicles to pass through. 
uh, we're just, I suppose we're just asking people to be very mindful of this and when parking and when you do park just take a look out and see if a emergency vehicle can actually pass through you know mm, because some of the roads particularly the roads around Inchidani now they're very narrow but the thing is if you arrive at a beach and there isn't parking just go find another beach yeah I suppose in, in West Cork we are blessed yeah. an awful lot with, um, with a massive amount of beaches and like that um, you know two cars shouldn't be parked across from each other they, you know the, the, the double yellow lines are there yes, for a reason absolutely. and I know there's a massive amount of calls in relation to especially in Jadani double yellow lines you know which is um, we're just hoping that the public will listen and um and do yeah. what you know. Yeah, and as you say, isn't so much an issue this week because the heat wave has passed, even though I was looking yeah. at a thing from Met Air and, and they reckon we're in for another spell of uh, good weather next week and, and indeed even into September. So the, the good weather might be coming back to us and then everybody wants to flock to the beach, which is also timely for us to r- remind people when you are heading to the beach about what you bring with you and belongings, etc. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so what we've noticed is that there's obviously with the, with the warm weather and obviously the warm water, people are going for swims and, you know, most of the time they're travelling by cars and where I suppose we're making appeal to the public um, to not leave any personal items unaccompanied. Um, you know, people can leave valuable items such as wallets, uh, car keys, and there are unfortunately opportunists out there you know, looking to take advantage of this and the advice that the Gardaí would have is that if you are in a group, maybe one of the person, one of the people you're with can stay behind and mind the items. But a lot of the time, some person might travel down to a beach in a car and get into the water by themselves and leave their belongings outside. What we'd ask if it was possible, if you're on your own, to keep, you know, keep a close eye on it. And when you go into the water, also keep an eye on your items and making sure that no one is going near it, you know. Yeah, yeah, I know. Because actually, again, when we, when we were at the beach, I saw uh, a gentleman who was on his own going in uh, for a swim and he was taking off his watch and he had his phone and whatever. And there was a little family sitting next to him and he just said, would you look after those? Which, Which is you know, like People would be more than willing to keep an eye on your items uh, for you. But just, and a lot of that is... Uh, opportunistic theft is it would you say James 100% Patricia yeah 100% I suppose when you enter the water um, especially I suppose if you're um, one of those swimmers that go in for long periods of time you can be in the water for a long period of time and at times you you do forget about your items Um, you know there would be nothing worse than coming back out of the water and, and finding gone. that your wallet and your car keys are gone, and yeah. they are going to be there. There's not an awful lot of people that don't drive to the pe- you know to the beach. There is people that live close by, but there is people obviously. Um, and swimming in waters is becoming more popular, as you know. Yeah, yeah. You know? Okay, so just look after your bits and your yeah. bobs. Now it was many months ago at the start, I think, of the petrol prices starting to rise. Yeah. Uh, Sergeant John Kelly, based in Fomoy on this slot, was talking about a couple of drive-offs at petrol stations and he was worried at the time that with petrol prices rising we could see more of it and I believe that's exactly what's happening. Yes, that's exactly what's happening. There's a, there's a fierce rise in this and um, I suppose the reason we've come on today is to ask businesses you know, that are selling petrol and diesel to do a number of steps um, as a preventive measure really um, including having CCV outside the premises that clearly pick up the registration, Patricia, um, having CCTV and signs that are actually clear um, for the public to see and that actually acts as a deterrent and also 
having CCTV that actually is high high enough resolution to pick up faces clearly and that it's not blurred, you know. This will help on Garda Shikana to identify, to identify those uh, vehicles and also people that have done the drives off, you know. Yeah, okay. People just need to be aware. Yeah. Our businesses need to be aware of it. Now, cybercrime, unfortunately, James, yeah. uh, once again, rearing its ugly head. Uh, this time, one in Bandon and one in Kilbritton. That's correct, yeah. As we're well aware, uh, we speak about it every, every second week um, in relation to people getting calls and text messages from banks. Um, but like everything, um, you know, these cameras are evolving. Um, these two incidents of fraud happened in Bandon and Kilbritton over the last two weeks. Um, in these particular uh, incidents, the person received a phone call from an Irish number uh, with a lady reporting to be an internet actual provider, Patricia, wanting to um, refund money uh, to the person due to the poor coverage um, for their um, for the provider. Um, in these incidents, the person actually accepted this and gave their bank information mm. to the caller and also set up a Revolut account um, and in both instances there was actually a sum of money that was attained in these uh, instances you know I suppose the advice there for for us would be uh, as you know no company will ever ring you um, to put money actually into your account mm. um, you know never to click, click on any um, link and if you're ever in doubt ring your local garage station or call into us and there's also plenty of advice actually on garage.ie Patricia. That certainly is a, is a new one. I haven't heard that one before. Yeah. 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 And they keep coming up with new modus operandi. You just have to be uh, aware of and be they suspicious do. of any unsolicited call, text or uh, email. You yes. also, James, want to offer advice to people selling items online. Yeah, this is actually a one that I came across myself uh, this week. Um, so it involves putting an item um, online and, you know, one of the, the platforms that we will know of, um, receiving a, a WhatsApp message um, with another person agreeing a price and, and basically they stating that they're from a different county and that they'd like to pay for the um, the item before the collection and they'd, they'd actually arrange a courier to pick it up, Patricia. Um, it all sounded actually great and legitimate, but... Um, then they want to send you a link, you know, and whenever you hear the word link, it's always a really a bad thing, you know. Um, you know, we, we just want to make people aware that obviously this is a scam. And in often cases, it's a WhatsApp message. Um, in this case, it was actually a business account. There actually was a picture of a male or a female or a family on their profile. But once you don't engage or they feel that you aren't engaging with the messages and conversation, um, both the, the fraudsters' messages will actually disappear um, from their WhatsApp group, um, from the WhatsApp conversation around Patricia. So, um, again, they are evolving the whole time in different things. And I suppose when you when you hear of them trying to pay for the product before they get it, you know, your, your eyes light up. But um, when they look at that link, there's always there's always something going on, you know. Okay, and uh, very f- uh, finally, something that I know happened to, or allegedly happened to a, a young girl in yeah. Bantry, and this was her drink, uh, was spiked. And a spiky in a town like Bantry is not something that you expect. We've no. a tendency to think that it happens uh, in in cities. Y- you want to uh, offer advice uh, to to people, uh, yeah. James? W- yeah, Patricia, we- we're receiving more allegations of instance of spiking in pubs and clubs, um, not only in Cork City, but as you said, um, there was um, one recently in Bantry. Um, we're obviously asking the public to be extremely mindful of this. This is extremely serious, and you know we advise the public that when they are actually having drinks, whether it be actually alcoholic or non-alcoholic, Patricia, 
um, that they do a number of preventative um, measures. Um, there is a massive amount of information on the HSE website, um, but these include um, never leaving your drink unattended uh, and keep an eye on your friend's drink. Uh, do not accept a drink from someone you don't know. Um, maybe consider sticking to bottles and avoiding such things as you know these punch bowls, um, which makes it easier for the, uh, the culprit. And also, um, if you feel that it's been tampered with, tell a trusted friend or, or a relative immediately. You know, and as we always say, try to plan your your trip home and also, you know, to let people know where you're going and what time you expect to be home as so that if you don't get home, that people will know what's happening, you know. Yeah, and when you're out in a group for everybody to look after yeah. each, uh, each other. Just very finally, when we were talking about parking on the beach, uh, listener says, what about camper vans parked for days on a beach? Is that illegal? Yeah, well, again, um, Camper vans are quite entitled to be on the road like every other car. Um, what would be illegal is the positioning of them. And I know Gardaí have been notified in relation to camper vans parking areas where you know they're they're limiting access. Um, so what I would say to listeners there, if they have any issues in relation to camper vans, then by all means ring Bandon Garda Station or your local Garda Station. Yeah, yeah. And we have absolutely no problem in coming out and taking a look. And if they are in the wrong position or partly, you know, we will move them on, Patricia. And um, But uh, by all means, ring the, ring the Garda Station and um, and look for us to come out yeah, there. Because you if know. you're parked in a WNO line, it doesn't matter if you're in a car or a van or a camper van, it's illegal. Exactly. So uh, exactly. And Patricia, we, we know that there is some massive camper vans and they need to be mindful too that when they are parking that they're not um, although there mightn't be double yellow lines they could be taking up a significant area of the road you know and again we've all heard of the situations where there's been a big incident in a beach and you know an ambulance or for fire brigade not able to pass yeah, you know and yeah. um, and as you said you know there, there might be a nice spell on the way again and um, it's just it's just very important to, uh, for people to understand that as well. Yeah, know? and we want people to go to the beach and enjoy it and exactly. to come home safe. Listen, uh, James, yeah. thank you for that thanks and thanks for joining us. Good You're morning no to you. Thank you. That Good. is uh, Garda James Masters who is based out of Bandon Garda Station. We were talking about people getting caught out with scams uh, with uh, James Masters, Garda James Masters. It's just a couple of minutes ago that's prompted somebody to say, hi, I got a text from rossireland.com. There was a link attached needless to say I didn't open yeah, and Ross claiming to come from Revenue. Ross, for a start, straight away, RossIreland.com. That website doesn't even exist. If it was coming from Revenue, it would be Ross.ie and Ross.ie would never send you out a text message with the link to click on. So well done. Copped straight away. It was a scam. Just delete, delete, delete. 0818 103 103. A break in News at 12 midday on the way. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Some of your thoughts uh, coming in. We were speaking uh, with the with James Master, the James Master in the last hour about people driving in the beach and where you're parking your car. And please be very, very careful. That's prompted Michael uh, to say, Patricia, just to follow up on what uh, Garda James Masterson was saying in the last hour. People who are visiting beaches, etc., on very narrow country roads 
need to slow down and drive with care for others. I've seen speeds that are crazy, said Michael, on my own local road recently that are potentially fatal if you meet another vehicle. Also, people walking on farmland and having dogs loose and climbing over through wires, they're causing a serious risk to cattle. Please respect where you are when you're visiting a rural area, says Michael. Well done, well done. And that's a good, uh, and actually when I was in West Cork last week, it was one of the things I noticed and I think from having lived there a number of years ago, I'm very conscious of the narrow roads and you never know what could be coming up against you on, on the next bend and if you don't know the road well enough and, you know, farmers will make hay when the sun shines and during the warm weather there was, you know, a lot of big agricultural vehicles out on the roads as well so please be really really careful when you're driving in any rural area because as you know you just don't know what is around the corner thank you for that michael and it's good good to give out those words of advice and then um PJ was on to tell me that McCroom School of Fine Art, now that's the old Mercy Convent building in McCroom, they're having a Heritage Day. It's to celebrate Heritage Week and they are hosting a special day on the history of ceramics. This sounds really interesting. DPD Forge, they're from Bantir. They're going to be doing a display of coppersmithing, blacksmithing and historical blacksmithing equipment will also be on display. And that's happening Saturday from 12 until 4 p.m. in the McCroom School of Fine Art, which is the old Mercy Convent building. If people would like to go along and thank you for to PJ for getting that information into us. Now, some of your thoughts coming in. We discussed housing in the last hour, and in particular, dereliction and vacant properties and what needs to be done about them, etc. Bearing in mind that we have a housing crisis. Michael says, Patricia, the housing debate will go on for years as it is stagnant at the moment. It's like the Department of Health, as Brian once said, wasn't it, was that Brian Lenahan once said, it's like Angola. Michael says, I remember listening to the late Des O'Malley in Limerick some years ago at a meeting with a lot of other politicians. And on that night, Des O'Malley said two things that have stuck in Michael's memory. One was that Ireland needs a new constitution. And secondly, it needs a new planning act. Housing, says Michael, is one of today's biggest problems. And yes, he said, I often think of Des O'Malley's remarks and they're becoming more and more relevant today. Housing will remain our greatest problem until the 1963 Act is dissolved and a new planning act put in place for the needs of a new generation and the generations to come and allowing people to build. Planners and county councils have caused major problems within housing. The 1963 Act also, according to Michael, does not comply with our constitution. Thank you for your text on the government and what's happening with the budget and what is likely to happen with the budget and social welfare and social welfare increases. Some of your calls still coming in on this. Jason says, I worked, I have worked for the last 40 years and recently I had to leave the job I love. I now live on €134.20 a week. I have a lot of admin and computer experience along with retail work and I also have some farming experience. I finished my job 10 weeks ago. I've applied for 40 different jobs in the last 10 weeks. I have references to back up uh, everything that I'm putting in my CV. I've got nothing from a lot of them. Others, I'll just get an email or a phone call saying, sorry, no luck at your application. So while people are ringing in saying unemployed people need to get out there and get a job, some of us 
are trying really hard to find uh, work. And, and my heart goes out to you, Jason. And it, and it always happens when we're discussing something like this uh, with an issue like this. There, there will always be people who are long term unemployed who simply don't want to work. I think everybody accepts that and everybody knows of somebody who you know in your heart and soul could be out at work but just doesn't really want to work. But in the middle of all of that, there will be people like Jason, decent, hardworking people who for whatever reason, and I don't know what the reason is, particularly when we're hearing that there are so many jobs going at the moment and Jason just can't find the job that will suit him, which is really, really unfortunate, fortunate, hopefully. The job fairies and the job angels will be working on your side, Jason, and you'll find your ideal job really, really soon. 0818103103. Sylvester, hi Patricia, I'm constantly wondering why the Irish government want to introduce this new tax rate of 30%. In fairness, that's Leo Varadkar's proposal, isn't it? And I think he may even be rowing back on it. But anyway, he's been talking about that for quite some time. We have two tax uh, two tax brackets at the moment is a 20%. You tax at 20% or then over 38,600, it jumps to 40% uh, taxation. And Leo Varadkar is always saying we need something in the middle, a 30% tax uh, rate. Sylvester's scratching his head over that. He said, to what extent will such a tax actually save people money? Why, if the government are looking at tinkering with tax, why do they not instead, say, drop the 20% rate to 15% and the 40% rate to 35%. All of that all of that could be done and it could be much easier to do and certainly more people would benefit because the one downside to the 30% one uh, are the people under 38,600 who don't pay tax at 40, 40%. They won't benefit from it. It is the middle and higher earners would benefit if a 30% tax rate came in whereas your proposal, Sylvester, would certainly help a lot of other people instead. Thank you for that. Jim says he's coming up with ways to try to save money this winter. He's worried about fuel costs over the winter. He said, I normally go to bed at half past 11. I've decided this coming winter I'm going to be heading to bed at 10.30. That will save an hour on Jim's heating and he wants to pass that suggestion on to other people who might consider it as well. And there's many people already doing that and have been doing that for quite some time, uh, Jim. Thank you for your text. John in Clan says, on people not taking up jobs and staying on long-term unemployment. In some countries, employers are allowed to go into their local Dole office and ask for people who are eligible for work. You're then contacted by the Dole office to say such and such a company is looking for workers. If you don't go for interview or if you don't take the job, guess what happens? You lose your dole, dole payments. It's automatically cut off, says John in Lanakilty. Maybe we need to introduce something like that here in this country. Hi, Patricia, living in a North Cork town. The amount of people every morning sitting or standing outside coffee shops is unreal. They get out, they, they get out of bed and spend their day watching the rest of us working. They should be, we should send them away on courses or get them to do some kind of community uh, work instead of them sitting there all day looking at the rest of us heading out to work. And that's signed a very annoyed worker and the majority of them look like they're well able to work, says this texter. Uh, John says, Patricia, an election is what is needed. The Green Party will destroy rural Ireland. They have us all robbed. North Cork listener says, Patricia, I'm wondering about those people 
who are begrudgingly saying that people on social welfare should not get anything extra in the forthcoming budget. Well, Patricia, what about us, people who live on a disability uh, payment? Is that not a social welfare payment? Those people need to shut up and they don't know what they are talking about. You can choose to go to work, so get over it. I can't work due to my three disabilities. I'd love to be able to work, but I'm not able to. So those people need to cop on and think that and think that not everybody else and, and realise that not everyone is not easy for everyone to go out to work. Other people have problems too. And that's signed a North Cork listener. In fairness to that North, North Cork listener, what people have been talking about is people who are eligible for work. They're not talking about not giving increases to all social welfare. And that's what Fina Gaylor is saying. Give increases to social welfare payments but the one that they're querying giving an increase to is people on job seekers allowance so people on a disability whatever the increase um, th- nobody is saying that somebody on disability or a widow's pension or somebody on an old age pension shouldn't get an increase that's not what uh, people are saying and someone else says the budget is next month and while they're all saying there will be some kind of increases to social welfare uh, payments many people feel that that increase should kick in on the day of the budget and not anything up to three three months uh, later because that's what has happened in the past. They'll make the announcement and then you're going to have to wait until the new year and people are living with constant pressure items constantly uh, going up and there will be a lead into Christmas and people are finding it harder and uh, tougher. If the price of a packet of fags goes up on the day of the budget they'll be able to put that up at midnight. Why can't they put social welfare payments up at the same time? It would help out a lot of people. They are talking, no, they're not talking about putting it up at midnight but they certainly have already said that people won't have to wait until the new year for the increases. Normally, you're right. The budget happens in October and then the increases won't come until January. I remember one year the increases didn't come until the week of St. Patrick's Day. So it was March before some increases came in. The government are accepting that whatever measures are put in place are going to have to kick in sooner rather than later. I'm not saying it'll happen at midnight, but it certainly will happen uh, before uh, that. Uh, thank you for your text to 0862103103. And I very nearly forgot to do this. We've got our wonderful competition all this week in association with Specsavers. Specsavers hearing they're celebrating Ireland's reopening with tickets to great events and experience. So you've got a chance to win a pair of tickets to go to see Tommy Tiernan live at the Cork Opera House plus a €100 Euro Greens restaurant voucher. Specsavers have expert audiologists in all of your local Specsaver stores and Specsavers audiology. They're bringing back the sounds you've missed the most. So I have a little Tommy Tiernan and there is a word missing. Listen closely. I did it for a week, and for that week, I couldn't stop telling everybody I was a daily. Run it again. I did it for a week, and for that week, I couldn't stop telling everybody I was a daily. Okay, what did Tommy Tiernan do for a week and took great pleasure in telling everyone he was a daily? I did it for a week, and for that week, I couldn't stop telling everybody I was a daily. Okay, what is it? What is the missing word? If you think you know what the missing word is, I need you to text or WhatsApp the missing word now to 086. 086- Two one zero three one zero three, and by texting the uh, missing word along with your name and address you will then go into the hat and could be in with the chance of winning that lovely prize to go see Tommy Tiernan live at the Coke Opera House in October along with a friend and the 100 Euro Greens restaurant voucher. What is the missing word? I did it for a week and for that week I couldn't stop telling everybody I was a daily... 
The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing, community and business supports all across the county. See corkcoco.ie. A temporary exhibition entitled Bail Nablaw, The Local Story, is opened at the Independence Museum in Kilmurray and it will remain open until the 4th of September. There will be a bus tour retracing the route taken by the Collins Convoy through Kilmurray, Neusestown and Ovens and tickets at €20. You can book a ticket on 021 733 6932. The next draw for the Kildare Community Lotto is taking place this afternoon. €4,800 is the jackpot and tickets are on sale in local outlets and in the community office. And the Tonight, Thursday evening at half past six, Dukas Clonakilty Heritage have organised a guided historical walk of Clonakilty Town. It's part of the Michael Collins Festival Programme and Heritage Week. Now, the meeting point is the Michael Collins statue on Emmett Square. That's right across from the post office. Uh, please note the starting time of 6.30, as it's been advertised elsewhere to start at a different time, so 6.30 this evening. And tonight at half past seven, the band in town at Bandon Town Hall, Kieran Doyle will present a talk on monuments to our past, understanding commemoration and the revolutionary period in Cork, 1914 to 1923. Also on Friday night at half past seven, Vincent Duggan will present a talk on the arrival of Angarda Siakona to abandon. And the North Cork Stroke Support Group, they're holding flag days tomorrow Friday in Donnerail, Mitchestown and Charleville. And Friday week, they'll be holding a flag day in the town of Mallow. Cork Today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Obviously, tomorrow on the programme, the, the last day of the week, we are going to be talking a lot about uh, Michael Collins in advance of the 100th uh, anniversary of the death of uh, Michael Collins. And we'll be talking a lot about what's going to be planned and happening in the law, um, particularly next Sunday. But Finbar and Enniskeen has contacted us about Bain of Law. Uh, good afternoon to you, Finbar. Good afternoon. How are you? No, I'm very well, thank you. Now, this is to do with the works that are ongoing. Uh, is, it, is, yeah. it, is it finished, by the way? I don't know. Okay. I've been passing back and forth there with the last month and what is going on there, but I can't for the life of me figure out what's going on there. The, the road, they narrowed the road. Yeah. It was a, a beautiful place for lorries to pull in and let cars pass. It's The road is down to one lane. Uh, there's a big wall, I think, in front of the monument. In the name of God, what are they doing there? Because, like, there was a monument to a man, a good man that died. And, um, it was old and it was nice. But this thing, it's absolutely, I know I haven't seen it, Patricia, but it's absolutely. Okay, and just, to, now I, I've, I have artist impressions and pictures that John Paul has given me of what it will look like at, 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 at the very end uh, when, when it is all finished. And, and please God, they're finishing up today and tomorrow because you have it ready for Sunday. Uh, just to let, for people who haven't passed Bail in the Blaw uh, before, uh, before this work started, Finbar, you're actually driving on the road and you're physically passing the monument. Yeah, you're you're passing the monument. I, you can see it from the road. Yeah, and, uh, lorries and everything can pull in there, and if cars pass, it's a wide it's stretch. Part, it's the only part of the road where cars could pass out anything. So but they've they've it, narrowed it, the road and they've built this 
it's kind of a wall in front of it. It's a kind of it's a kind of a Berlin wall in front of it. With, <laughs> okay, with the, flowers. but yeah, but the idea is that there's a footpath inside in that wall. It is, but that's no good to the people passing. That's no good to cars. And uh, there's a footpath inside that. But you know what good is that to people? Where are people going to park? Uh, yeah, no, that's Sunday, yeah. I, I and not even next Sunday, in future years. In future, in future yeah, years. Yeah. Um, I've been talking to people that had um, a near near accident there already, and there was traffic lights there. When the traffic lights are gone, what's going to happen there? And like through all through, this is supposed to be at a cost of one point two million. Is that how much? Is that is that the overall cost? That's, that's the figure that's being thrown around the place. And has, has, was there planning for it? Like, we're, we're down in West Cork, and we, we have, we're looking for building sites with transmission, and it's all about coming out on the road. Now, here they come and narrow down the road here, and I don't, I never see planning permission up there. Well, yeah, I'm looking at a press release that we would have gotten from Cork County Council back on the, actually it's the 1st of February I've just spotted the data on it when they were unveiling the plans to mark the centenary of the death of Michael Collins and talked about the work that was going to be done and they say that the reason that when it's finished, the idea behind it is the sensi- they're calling it a sensitive development of the monument and it will ensure its universal accessibility and will allow the visitor a chance to experience the landscape and feel what it was like in 1992 when the ambush took place. So from that, I take it the, the work that's been done is not to accommodate the people in cars. It's to accommodate the people who are going to visit the monument. I know, but, but Patricia, look, the way it was, who would accommodate people to see the way it was back the years? Like you had open landscape. Uh, you could stand at the monument and look across the fields where the, where the ambush came from. But like, what is this wall doing? Like, it, it don't make to me. It don't make much. It makes no sense at all. Well, the wall, I suppose, is to keep visitors to the area safe from from passing cars. Uh, just and uh, just on just on, on the planning. I've just seen the design. Blah blah blah. Um, the designers guided the proposed interventions to the area, resulting in a section thirty two application. What that is under the Roads Traffic Acts Act. Act 1994 to introduce trapping calming measures by the reduction of the carriageway width. And that's uh, exactly what you're talking God, about. Honest to God, Patricia, it's only another excuse for for spending money. Ridiculous. I, I think the monument and there's I every I, I meet a lot of people. Everyone I meet has the same version. Why change this beautiful monument that was there? Because a, a fitting monument back the years right clean it up let flowers and everything around it right it was lovely but this thing doesn't doesn't make sense it's modern day and old old fashioned so if that's the way they do the same to kill Michael and some places like build a big wall in front of it and uh, it's a pure they, waste of money. They also say in the media release back in February that there was the addition of car parking spaces. Have you seen car parking spaces? Well, I, can, I don't know, but maybe there is. Yeah, maybe it's okay. a or something. But there's definitely not the size of the road. Well, it gets, it'll, get, it'll get tested out, certainly, on oh Sunday. On Sunday. Will, God, will you go down yourself on Sunday, Fimber? I will. Or will I, you? I, might, I might be back at home in some class. That's where I come from. So okay. I might be back at Back in the pub, maybe we might keep it better there. But look, it's it's that's my opinion. I, I know. I, and I think, uh, honest to God, if, 
Uh, I shouldn't say it on the radio. If Michael Collins in the room, there'd be someone shot over this because. Oh, oh, don't say that. Oh, God, don't say that. Don't say because that. Because it's an awful Okay, waste. and I know, well, I know the, the bulk of the calls we were getting in is people worried that the works won't even be finished. So hopefully it has been. Oh, I hope it is finished. Yeah, yeah. Like they started soon enough. But what, what work has gone into it? The, the figure around 1.2 million has been mentioned. And the name of God That's a lot of money. justify spending that kind of money there. It's a lot. It certainly is a lot of money. All right, Finbar, listen, thank you for that. Thank you very and thank much. You for, oh, thank oh. you for your call. Uh, Mary in Bailey-Nablau said many people travel outside of the summer months, but where will people park? I don't see spaces along the roadside. Well, it says in this press release that we got back in the 1st of February that there was uh, certainly the carriageway they were, there was a reduction of the carriageway width, which is what seems to be Finbar's, says a lot of people are complaining about. So they were going to reduce the width of the carriageway, uh, renewal of surfacing and road markings. And obviously that's all been ongoing. And they say the addition of car parking spaces and associated works. I don't know. I, I know John Paul knows the area well. I don't know if he spotted any additional car park spaces, but that certainly was part of the plan. OK, we have you can stop texting us on our competition with Tommy Tiernan. What was the word, uh, Tommy? I did it for a week and for that week I couldn't stop telling everybody I was a daily swimmer. A daily swimmer. There was a lot of people thought that Tommy were, had become a daily communicant was one of the ones. A couple of people got swimmers. Somebody else says Tommy Tiernan became a daily jogger. No. A mask goer. No. A daily drinker. No. The answer was swimmer. And the winner today is Sinead Cashman. Congratulations to you, Sinead. You have won for yourself a pair of tickets to go see the wonderful Tommy Tiernan live at the Cork Opera House in October. Lounge the friend and a 100 euro greens restaurant voucher. We'll do it again tomorrow. Final day. Final audio clip from Tommy Tiernan with a missing word and your chance to guess. All in association with Specsavers who have expert audiologists in your local Specsavers store. Specsavers Audiology bringing back the sounds you missed the most. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Say a number of uh, texts in reacting to Finbar from Enniskeen, who's not happy with the works that have been put in place by Cork County to cancel for the monument at uh, Bailnablaw. Some North Cork gentleman says Bailnablaw was better the old way. Not happy with the new works that have been uh, that are currently still underway. They've got a couple of days left to have it ready for Sunday. Karma says I've actually walked around the monument and I agree with Finbar from Enniskeen. I think they've destroyed it. They've taken the railings away, and I feel they've made a total mess of it. That's from Carmel. And someone else says, as regards the monument in Bale and the Blaw, you could park between 10 and 15 cars the way it was. They've now cut the car parking spaces down to about five spaces. There's always so many cars there and so many people visiting there. And to top it all, they started the work at the start of the holiday season absolutely mad. Okay, that's just some of your thoughts and comments coming in about the works that have been conducted at Bale Nablaw. And as I say, we will talk in more detail about Michael Collins on the programme tomorrow. 0818 103 103. Now, to change directions completely, because with only a couple of weeks left 
in this year's long summer holidays, many parents are starting to worry about getting their children back into a proper sleeping pattern in time for the return to school. So joining me with tips and words of advice is certified child sleep consultant Erica Hargaden of sleep consultancy service Babogue. Good morning to you, Erica. Good morning. And Thank you very much for having me and today. Well, you're very welcome to the programme. I suppose for all of us, how important is a good night's sleep? Oh, incredibly important. Like sleep is, in my opinion, the first pillar of health. If we're not sleeping well, then the rest of our body is not going to function in the well that it's designed to. So we're less likely to choose good foods. We're less likely to choose to exercise. You know, in terms of our mental capacity, everything would be under pressure if we're not sleeping well. And it's the very same for children as it is for us adults. Now, do you accept as families that we can all just get out of our normal routines during the summer months? And it's kind of part of what the long summer holidays are all about. Ah, yeah, absolutely. Look, I'm a mum of three myself. My first is about to start secondary school this year. And we've absolutely taken a breather over the summer in terms of, you know, normal routine, what I might refer to as term time routine. And I'm obsessed with sleep, like really, (laughs) really obsessed with good sleep. And yes, my children are going to bed a little bit later. Our meal times are, you know, off compared to what we would normally do. But that's really par for the course when it comes to holiday time. And that's what this time should be, a little bit of breather where you're able to do that. But now we're, you know, just a few weeks away from getting back into the alarm going off first thing thing in the morning. So how do we start getting children out of the later bedtime is one of the ones when I mentioned you were going to be joining me on the programme this morning. That was the one that most parents um, brought up. I mean, you know, the night before they're due back to school saying, all right, kids, it's eight o'clock, go to bed now. That's not going to work. No, it's not. You need to reset. So I would often advise parents that maybe about a week 10 days out from that day that you're going to set the alarm, you start bringing bedtime back slowly and gently. So think increments rather than big jumps. So if you have an older child that's going to bed maybe at 10 o'clock and realistically you need them in bed by 9, start pairing it back by 15 minutes every two days. And then by the time you get back to the day they need to be up, you know, that little bit earlier, you'll have already set the bedtime the night before. Should we set a constant wake up time? Yes, in line with this, Patricia, I would advise that. So start getting into the rhythm of them being up and out at a certain time. Now, you can reset it in the same way that I've described with bedtime. So if they're not getting out of bed till 10 o'clock, start pairing it back. Um, for example, my eldest needs to be on the bus at 7.40 in the morning. Oh. So he has to be up considerably earlier than he has been over the summer. So we're getting into the rhythm of that at the moment of getting up at a regular time because that will start for him next week. And then talk to me about bedtime routines and what is a good bedtime routine? And I'm assuming screens need to be switched off, for example. Like a good bedtime routine, in my opinion, is one that works for the family. There isn't necessarily like a gold standard in relation to this, but something that takes no more than 30 minutes. And yes, 
turning off the television in the hour prior to bedtime is absolutely going to help with that. So get your children into the vein of maybe helping with a few jobs around the kitchen, cleaning off the table, maybe emptying the dishwasher, things that you need a little bit of help with, and move to being together, talking to each other, maybe kind of decompartmizing the day a little bit and giving that connection opportunity. And about half an hour before you want their lights out, start moving towards the bedroom environment. You know, you've got to do your teeth, your weave, your hands. Maybe you like to have your cha- a shower before they go to bed. So those things, plus a little bit of reading time, potentially, depending on the age of the child, and then lights out. So you're winding down rather than landing the bomb of turning off the television 15 minutes before you want the lights out because that's only going to raise the octane mm-hmm. and create pushback rather than wind them down towards oh, That's when the arguments start. I mean, I'm a big fan of the bedtime story. I think that's a Absolutely. great way to wind it down. Yeah, and connection. I, there's nothing nicer than, than taking your child, you know, close to you, maybe onto your knee and, and having a bit of reading time. And I know for my younger child, That shared reading opportunity is Mm. key in terms of development. I read a page or a paragraph and he reads a page or a paragraph. And that'll give you an insight into maybe how they're getting on with their reading and just a bit of time together. Even choosing the book together is is a lovely thing to do. You said they're lights out. Are you, uh, do you suggest no light, night, no night lights, a dark environment? Again, child dependent. Now, From a body perspective, the body wants darkness uh, for sleep. So melatonin, the sleepy hormone, loves darkness. It will do its best work in terms of getting us to sleep and keeping us asleep with darkness. But an awful lot of children don't like a fully dark environment for sleep. You know, it'll bring up the anxieties and the fears, and that's to be respected. Mm. So if you need a little light source, I suggest avoiding blue and white lights and going towards more amber, oranges, yellows and reds in terms of night light sources and that they're low level, just enough to give that little bit of comfort in the room rather than bright. Yeah, they give a glow rather than filling filling the room, room with light. Okay, the big question, and I don't know if there's an easy answer to this. How much sleep does a school-going child need? Well, it's funny, I read a study today that um, they're looking at this in terms of the fundamental amount of time and they're suggesting about nine hours for school-going children. I would always go on the vein of eight to ten hours when you get towards four and six years of age and up. That's when you would have a school-going child. But really, you need to determine how much your individual child sleeps, what they need, and then maybe what time they need to start their day, which will help you figure out what time their bedtime needs to be. So I have a high sleep needs child in my eldest. If he could sleep 12 hours, he would. But my youngest child is a 10-hour child and always has. Yeah, so. Yeah. I've had to kind of carve it out in terms of the optimum bedtime in our household to suit their individual needs and when I need them to start their day.
Okay, Lister says, could you ask Eric, your sleep expert, is it true that teenagers do require more sleep? The teenage um, sleep shifts. So yes, they may need a higher requirement of sleep because they're learning and development at, at a rate that is nearly similar to what a toddler would do. You know, they're, they're really changing. But it's that their sleep shifts later. So a teenager will want to fall asleep later and wake up later. That's a natural shift in their circadian rhythm. And I definitely am experiencing that at the moment with my teenager. (laughs) But by the time they get to approximately 18, so more adulthood, the circadian rhythm can shift back into... I suppose, more regular patterns like we might experience as adults. So if your your teenager is resisting sleep and doesn't want to go to bed, yes, we need to encourage it, but maybe encouraging the downtime rather than encouraging, you need to fall asleep now and allow their body to get into a natural rhythm. But we do have to prioritise them getting enough sleep because the school hours don't fit in with what their bodies want. That's true, that's true. And then regular meals and exercise, that's all part of getting out of the lazy, hazy, crazy days of summer and getting back into those kind of routines, Erica. Totally. Our bodies do thrive on routine. And yes, an awful lot of us would kind of not like routine and fear routine, but our bodies thrive on it. Regular meal times regular exercise, lots of hydration through water and really just everything happening at similar times every day is going to help everybody get into a rhythm. Okay, and Lisa has a seven-year-old who still naps in the afternoon but she does sleep well at night. Will she grow out of it, a seven-year-old napping? Lisa, what I'd say here is if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah. Like, enjoy the downtime. Very possibly she would. Um, Obviously, there's a sleep need there. And if the overnight side of things is consolidated and settled, then she's probably absolutely fine and just leave it be and she'll grow out of it eventually. Okay, all right. And people can find out more about you do. I know you do online sleep uh, courses. At I do. B- at baboak.com. Yes, baboak.com. Okay, and how did you become a certified child sleep consultant, Erica? The long and short of it, Patricia, is that that teenager when he was a baby nearly <laughs> broke me. <laughs> well, your honesty is great. Well done, well done. Listen, it was a pleasure to talk to you. Baboak.com if people want to find out more. Thank you for that, Erica. Thanks Thank for joining you. us. Uh, good afternoon to you. That is uh, Erica, uh, Erica uh, Hargaden of Baboak.com. That's my leave you for today. Thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards with you for the afternoon and we'll talk to you tomorrow morning at 10 on to the Lamb Patricia Messenger. Very good afternoon. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. 
quince.com slash style. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.